really good. Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Rachel Elizabeth Seed's photography and films have been featured in the New York Times, The New Yorker, New York Magazine, the BBC, and Time. She's been a cinematographer on several award-winning feature documentaries, and her photography was exhibited at the International Center of Photography's Exhibition and Rising Waters as well. Rachel is a 2017 IFP Lab Fellow and recipient of grants from the Jerome Foundation, the New York State Council on the Arts, Roy W. Dean, and the Main Media Workshops. And Carol, I understand you met Rachel when she applied for the Dean Grant, right? Yes, Claire. Our judges saw her talent immediately. And Rachel, we're so honored to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we have a lot to cover. So your film, A Photographic Memory, is the story of your photographer mother, Sheila. And Sheila died when you were only 18 months old. So as you're making the film, we understand that you're discovering who your mother was and um, probably hearing her voice again. Uh, So... It must have been like you were meeting her for the first time. So can you share this information with us? Yes, it has been a lot like that. Um, Before I started making the film, I really didn't have a sense of who she was. It was very vague. Um, I didn't know what her voice sounded like. I had never seen footage of her moving, and I didn't remember her because I was a baby when she died. So through the last few years I've been making this, as I've discovered bits and pieces of archive, I've been putting together mental and uh, just all sorts of images of who she was. And I've done that through listening to her interviews and through uh, watching great family footage of her and many, many other ways. And it has been incredibly moving for me. Right. This is a, it's a wonderful way to, to meet someone. So, um, <laughs> Let, let's go. Tell us about the experience of seeing and hearing your mother's photographs and her recordings. You found that they were uh, all together. They were stored at ICP. Uh, this must have been a treasure trove for you to find it and get to experience it. Yes, definitely. Um, so what brought me to New York and to the project initially was that I found out that ICP, the International Center of Photography, had been storing a lot of my mother's work over the years. Um, And I discovered they had about 70 audio reels of my mother interviewing well-known photographers for projects that she made in the 1970s um, about photographers like Henri Cartier-Bresson and Bruce Davidson and Lisette Modell and W. Eugene Smith and Cornell Kappa. Um, There's a long list. And when I got to ICP and I, I played back the interviews, I was hearing her voice for the first time since she died. 
and I realized that I remembered it. And that was such a weird thing. You remember something that you don't know that you have memory of. So I knew I remembered it because it was familiar when I heard it. That has to be an an amazing experience to... um to hear someone's voice that you you really don't even remember and know in in your body your DNA remembered it how marvelous yeah and it was a comforting to hear it too so I, I was a little concerned about listening to it I thought it would be I would freak out or something because <laughs> it was just a weird it was a big thing to do and, and instead it just sort of felt like a natural thing to do oh how incredible and then you got to uh, to see her photographs and uh, listen to her interviews and get to know her. So tell us about Sheila. Who is she? Well, I discovered that, you know, she was incredibly talented as a journalist, um, somebody who spent a lot of time coming up with story ideas and then seeking out these sort of usually often marginalized people Um, In the case of the photographers, you know, she just was in love with photography, and so she got to interview these incredible photographers. But her talent was really, she was an incredible listener, and she really got people to open up and talk about things in a way that they might not normally talk about them. So, you know, people just really took to her, and as a result, she got amazing access. She built friendships with you know, um, some of these people that she had interviewed and the result afterwards, and she was also an incredible editor. So then she would edit the interviews and they would be um, just very profound and um, unique interviews that she would, uh, that she would create. Well, I have to say that I've always felt listening was a, is a major talent there. They're just, some of us who don't always hear everything, but those who are good <laughs> listeners um, are talented. My father was a good listener uh, because mm-hmm. he used to work at our film company, and he would be standing over the counter, Rachel, and, and people would just stand in line. We'd say, would, can I help you over here? Oh, no, I want to talk to Roy. <laughs> <laughs> he listened to them, you know, and he would honestly say, so what are you making? And we'd all go, oh, no, not again. Because they'd be selling a hundred dollars to someone and spend forty-five minutes with them, but they <laughs> loved, you know, people loved it because he heard. So she mm-hmm. must have, um, in the art world like that, where people go in with a list of questions and then go out with whatever they got. Um, she must. Have, it must have been astonishing to uh, the, the interviewees the fact that she was so adept at this. Yeah, and I think part of the listening then allowed her to think of really um, just unique questions and, you know, very deep questions that weren't just on the surface. And so probably the people she was talking to, they could get into, you know, a, a deeper conversation and and they felt really heard. And, you know, it was like, it was a conversation. It wasn't just, you know, her listening or her talking. It was you know, uh, an exchange between her and her subject. Well, I read that um, Carter Brisson's widow, um, who you said you interviewed, yeah. a teen 
uh, Frank. Martine Frank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said something like, uh, referring to Sheila, that she got uh, Cartier-Bresson to say very interesting things about his photography. He considered mm-hmm. it the best interview he ever gave. That's quite a statement. Yeah, he used to tell because he was very famous and he would get lots and lots of requests for interviews and he was notoriously elusive to the press. Um, and he just he didn't want to be pigeonholed and he didn't even really like being called a photographer. I mean, he was, you know, like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, basically he would tell, when press would come to him, would tell them, well, just listen to Sheila's interview. You don't need to talk to me again. And he was, oh, wow. and so that's that's how much he respected their together. Oh, that's marvelous! Well, so from uh, the uh, international, the ICP, did you? Uh, you've got a lot of recordings. You have the master, mm-hmm. and then you have her edited copy too, right? Yes. So her edited work was fifteen short audiovisual programs. Um, that were all by these different photographers. Um, so I do have those box sets, and I also have uh, the her original work remains at ICP, but um, but I've been able to use some of it for the film. Oh, wonderful! And so, how are you using this through the film? Tell us. Well, we're currently in post production, so I don't yet. No, I can't say what the final product will be exactly like, but but essentially, you know, we're we're looking at the interviews and listening for themes that speak to the greater process I've been going through in making the film, which is you know looking for someone who's been lost and trying to reconnect with um, a close family member, in this case, my mother, who died before I could really get to know her. So what I found is that a lot of the interviews speaks to the themes of mortality, of, you know, why do people photograph? Because they're trying to capture a second or moment of life. Um, And as human beings, you know, we are mortal and we don't have an infinite amount of time. So photography is a tool that allows people to sort of feel like they have, they've captured something and can hold on to it. And so I found that um, that speaks to sort of what I'm trying to do in my own life. And it, it blends really interestingly with a personal story, sort of look at their philosophies and, um, and sort of mix that with my personal journey, if that makes sense. Right. So this is not going to be just a straightforward talking head documentary. Um, Absolutely not. Yeah. Rather unique then, won't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very personal story, and, you know, the materials are going to be used in a different way than they were initially intended. Um, you know, we're not making biopics about the photographers. Um, we really want to tell a universal story that, you know, anyone who's lost somebody close to them or anybody who loves photography and, and tries so hard to capture what Cartier-Bresson called the decisive moment um, – making a story that people can relate to in that way, as opposed to like, you know, the life and times of Henri Cartier-Bresson or, or Bruce Davidson. There's, there's already plenty of stories like that out there. So this story is unique because it's a combination of, um, of some of their ideas, but also of this like sort of universal journey of, of rediscovery and reconnecting with somebody who you lost. 
Right. And speaking of reconnecting, you are reconnecting to many of the lives that Sheila touched uh, and connecting to Sheila through these people. So tell us about some of these interviews you've done. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty wild. Um, The film has been an excuse for me to to go and find and, and connect with pretty much everyone that she ever knew who's willing to talk to me. I mean, obviously there's many people I haven't talked to, but um, I, for example, found her ex-boyfriend who lives in Israel. He was the man she had dated for five years before she met my father. And he was there as she was doing these interviews with the photographers. And he shows up a lot on her contact sheets as, you know, the person she spent the most time with when she was in New York. And so when I when I figured out how important he was to her, I thought, I have to find this guy. He's got to have some unique stories. And so it took me a couple of years, but I tracked him down and ended up going to Israel and spending a couple of days with him. Um, and I learned a lot about just about who she was through through his eyes. Um, so things like that. I've also interviewed, obviously, all these photographers who are still living, and that's a key part of the film. Um, but also her family, her brother, my cousins, um, distant cousins. I mean, you name it. It's just like even if I'm not going to use it in the film, I used it as sort of an excuse to like just go meet all these people and, and find out as much as I could about her. Well, now you're you're going to have a family documentary to carry forward. <laughs> Should you have any children, that you're, that would be marvelous for your own family. Yeah. That's a great well, and idea. I, and I see it as it's partly one of the themes is legacy. So I, I see it as, you know, my mother left all this amazing work behind, um, but then she died when she was 42. And if I wasn't making this film, she and her work would just be forgotten. Oh, um, who who horrible. else is going to carry it forward? And so, and she was, you know, obviously I'm, I could say I'm biased because I'm her daughter, but, you know, I've noticed when I've shared it with other people that they all find her extraordinary as well. And I, and I do think her story is really important to be told. Um, and, and I want to keep her work alive and, and give it a greater audience. So that's part of my motivation in doing this is to share who she was with the world to keep her memory alive. Absolutely, but at the same time, you're telling us a story of, of loss and then discovery and um, and pers- persevering. I mean, you're able to handle all of this and move forward. I think this will be well-received. Um, have you always been able to get to interview all the people you wanted? Um, there's been various levels of of. Uh, challenge in getting to some of them. Um, when I was working at ICP, I was fortunate in that I met several key people who helped me connect with the photographers I needed to, to get in touch with, including the director, the then director of ICP actually wrote personal letters to the photographers on my behalf, encouraging them to meet with me. So that obviously was helpful. Uh, wow, yeah. These are, I mean, these are photographers that are at the, you know, they're in their 80s now. They're they're infamous, you know, they're, they're so well-known um, and they get lots of requests for interviews. So it's not like they're just hanging out in a, in obscurity. So, but I managed to interview all of them, all the ones who are still living. So that was, that was good. That is a treasure trove for all of us. That's it. You know, it sounds to me like you have more than one film here. <laughs> 
Well, when I first started out, I actually had planned to make to re make my mother's films and add new interviews. So like re-interview the photographers, release her work with new interviews of the same photographers and maybe some contemporary photographers. I had a story in mind. That was the first thing I was going to do just about the photographers. But it kind of slowly evolved into this epic personal journey for, you know, for better or worse for me, <laughs> that's what it is now. So, um, so that's, that's kind of, where it ended up. Wow. Well, but you still may have another film in there. So we'll see when you finish this one if, you, <laughs> if you're interested in going any further because that idea is brilliant. Photographers around the world, I mean, we love photography. And now with, with cell phones, you, everyone taking everyone's picture for Facebook, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. These people will be so uh, revered. You'll have a lot of people wanting to see more after they see this film. Believe me, they're going to want more. Yeah, everyone so, is uh, a photographer now. Yes, yes. And so we have a big to, audience. <laughs> yes, you do. And then to learn about the greats. Wow, what did they do that I can incorporate in my work? Everybody will want to know. So. Um, Everyone seems, from the trailer I saw of yours, which I think is brilliant, uh, the people who she knew, Sheila interviewed, they all were very fond of her. I think they realized what a brilliant artist she was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it sounds funny to say it, but one of the challenges of the film is that everybody was so crazy about it that, you know, I had to be like, okay, so where's the drama, you know, (laughs) because it's not interesting if you just hear a bunch of people say lots of great things about somebody. Um, Right. But, you know, luckily there there are other elements (laughs) that are not totally like that. Should be revealed. um, Oh, it should, of course. Now, let's go into um, remembering. When do you think was the moment that you decided that this was a film that you had to make and you became totally determined to put in the time and the effort to find everything you could on your mother? Well, it was 2011, and it was precisely the moment that I was telling you about where I listened to her voice for the first time. Um, yeah. I was sitting in... Cornell Kappa's old office, and Cornell Kappa was the founder of the International Center of Photography, a person who introduced my parents to each other. So I literally owe my life to him. Um, and I was sitting in his office, even though he had long been gone, they kept it intact for many years at ICP. And I was listening on this old audio reel-to-reel player, my mother interviewing in 1973, around that time. And I just had this profound moment, like I felt like I was sitting in the room with them, like they were both sitting there with me. And and then I was also hearing her voice, and I would tell people about it at ICP or just friends, and they would say, wow, that's so, this is an incredible story. And I hadn't thought about it, my own story. So I started to realize that it was a unique experience I was having, and that mm-hmm. I had all these materials, and I I never made of any films before, um, and I just had this sort of big, bright light of an idea of, you know, this this could be a film. This could be, like, a big film. So 
from that moment on, I literally was Googling how to write a treatment, how to, what does a documentary budget look like? I mean, I just had no idea. And I just started from scratch. I didn't really know any filmmakers. I knew like one person and I emailed him for, to get a coffee. <laughs> that was it. Um, oh and from there I sort of built, built up this whole, this whole thing. <laughs> well, so share some of the things that you've learned about documenting someone that you don't know, but truly love. Um, well, I think, you know, part of, part of the, the luck of it all for me is that because my mother was a prolific writer and photographer, she left so much behind in the world and those were natural trails to get to know her. So that was my entry point was, okay, let's first look at her work. I'll see what she was interested in. And if I can track down these people, they'll tell me what it was like to meet her and, um, that was a natural entry point. And I know there's a lot of people who lost a parent who don't have, maybe they have one photograph or maybe their family never talks about that person. So I realized that I'm in a, a sort of unique, fortunate position to really get to know her. And also as a photographer, filmmaker, writer myself, it was like, well, these are the tools I have. This is how I, this is what I know. This is how I know to make sense out of something. So there's a sort of meta quality to like using her work as, as a journalist and photographer and then using those same tools myself to create something. <laughs> to Just seem to make sense all around. Right. Well, uh, you're putting your lens very close to your mother and discovering so much about her. How do you handle the emotion? that comes with these discoveries. Do you need to have to pause or take time out to assimilate each new part of her that you bring to light? Yeah, I mean, it's been a bit of a and It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, it, it's like you're carrying around this heavy load. I have been carrying this around for, for the years I've been making this film. And, um, and, you know, there's a combination of things. I do. I have had to take breaks. There was a time where I thought I just have to plow through and get the, get this thing done, but I realized my mental health was suffering. And so then I, I started doing other kinds of work again. I started freelancing as a producer, cinematographer, director, and I found that working on other things that were not my personal story gave me more sanity and made me feel more like myself again. So I needed that balance. And so it's sort of like, you know, different sorts of self-care were needed. And, you know, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. It's not like I had a roadmap of how this would go and how I would feel. Um, I had no idea. And I just sort of dived in and then dealt with whatever happened. And it has been some sometimes a heavy experience, um, but it also feels like something that I've had to do. Like if I didn't do it, then there would be this big, big thing that I would be missing that um, sort of part of my life's calling is to figure all this stuff out. So I sort of accept it as something I need to do, but I also know that I need to take care of myself in the process, which has been a learning curve. Oh, I would imagine. And um, maybe you've got some information that you could share on making of an autobiographical film. I mean, for documentary filmmakers that are here, anything special you could give us on that? Well, it's funny. I'm a part of 
a few different collections in New York, and there's one that's sort of a spinoff of one of the collectives, which is only for people making documentaries about their, themselves, because we're sort of a unique. There's an instant bond there that we have with each other because we know how it is. Um, I think to me it's a really exciting genre, subgenre of documentary. Um, love seeing personal. I think there's also a fine balance that you have to look at, which is a lot of people watching them are looking for strands of narcissism. They just want to, they want to self-included when I'm watching a personal documentary, I'm very sensitive to that. Like, are they just making this selfishly about them trying to like really connect with a greater audience? And I'm asking those questions and I think that's a pitfall. And I guess it's sort of a mis it's like a mysterious question answer, which what makes a personal documentary universal and touching versus navel gazing and narcissistic. Um, and I don't necessarily have the answer to that, but um, I think if you're coming from an authentic place and you're being vulnerable um, and you're not like acting, I think a lot of sometimes you see people in personal talks and they're putting on a show and you can kind of tell, or they're sort of being like, oh, look, look how funny my mother was, ha, 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 you know, like a personal inside joke, and you're like, well, you care about that, but I don't. So not to sound mean, but I think these are all things that someone making a film about their own life needs to consider. It's actually really hard to be a character in your film and the director of that film. Um, I think one of the, the tips that I've found is surrounding yourself with talented people who, whose visions or whose opinions you trust so that they can tell you and then being open to what they say, they can look at it and say, you know, Rachel, nobody cares about this. Like, I know you think this is funny and great, but nobody else will care, but actually people care about this and you need to look, expand that more. And I've had, it's been hard to listen to some of the things that people have told me, but I've realized that that's the only way I'm going to make the film I want to make is listening and um, incorporating how how it's landing with other people um, with my own vision and my own authentic, you know, drive to make the, or, you know, vision to make the film, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, dealing with criticism, dealing with loss on a, is part of a filmmaker's life. On a daily basis, you go through yeah. rejection and criticism, and you have to decide is that criticism valuable, you know, and you, and you, right. this is hard. But And the extra layer is, is if it's your own story, then you have to really, Woo. I've had to look at myself in the third person, which is such a weird thing to do. Like the character is Rachel. It's not, it's not me. I'm making up a story. Um, there is some fiction and I don't know if fiction is the right word, but it's, I'm writing the story. So it's not like this is exactly what happened and it's, you know, factual. It's no, this is my experience. And this is what I want people to know about it. So, you right. know, there's authenticity, but authenticity does not necessarily equal fact. What is fact? You know, it's like a personal experience is, is subjective. So I think that's a really interesting area to explore the nuances of. Absolutely. Well, um, I appreciate what you've told us because it is critical to uh, to pay attention to how you're presenting the material. So, but the 
interesting thing is um, because this is so much more than a documentary film to you, uh, it's an exploration. It's uh, meeting your mother, learning all about all of her life and things. So how can you say, this is it, I have everything and I'm going to move to editing? How can you make that decision? That must be hard. (laughs) Well, it's an organic process, and every year since I've started the film, and it's been a few years now, um, I always think, okay, I'm going to be done this year. And now looking back, I realize that I wasn't ready because there were certain bits of material that I still had to find. And I didn't really know what the film was until recently. It's just a feeling I have. Now I am ready to, to finish it. But it's also, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's a personal feeling of just being ready. And I, I probably will go on finding little bits and pieces of my mother's life and work for the rest of my life because it just hasn't stopped since I began. I mean, two weeks ago I was in Chicago with my dad and I found childhood photos I'd never seen before. I found a whole tape of me and my brother when we were very little. So there's always more stuff. and But I have enough. I have a lot. So <laughs> I, I just kind of made that decision that there's, there's enough stuff, you know. So now you're moving into post, is that right? Yes, yeah. And we've been in that process for the last year. Um, we were working with an editor. We were trying out, but it's been a trial and error process that's been taking us a bit to kind of get to the point where we're Well, you're breaking up a little bit. I couldn't get that. You're getting to the point where what? Oh, it's taken us a little while. Can you hear me okay? This is better, yes. Okay, it's taken us, it's taken some trial and error in the editing uh, room to to get to the point where I know what the what I want the film to be. It's not a straightforward process, uh, but it's just been it's been a it's taken a little bit to get to that point. Well, that's a great achievement if you can look at something and say that's it, that's what I want, because you're not fitting any genre. It, it doesn't sound like it sounds like this is going to be a unique film with a lot of emotion involved. And layers, many layers of information at the same time. Yeah, it's and that's why, you know, until we make it, um, it's, it, I think a lot of it will be made as we're editing it. But I have the general vision in my head and on paper. So that's the only thing we can do to start. Wow, that's great. Um, well, and so you're you're uh, living in New York. You're going to be doing the editing in New York. Um, you're looking for an editor there. Is that what's happening? Um, I am living in New York. Um, it's not a, it's not mandatory that the editor lives in New York. Um, we're still looking right now, and um, if they happen to live somewhere else, we'll consider. We just really want the right person. Right. Well, tell us about um, fundraising. Um, it would be interesting to know uh, if that was difficult for you. Fundraising has been one of the greatest challenges of making the film. Um, objectively speaking, you know, we've had a fair amount of success with fundraising, but 
I mean, I probably spend the most time and energy of any part of the process on raising funds or I have over the last few years. So it's been a whole learning (laughs) curve itself. Um, And, you know, all valuable skills to have, like how to present the story, um, you know, writing the proposal, making a trailer, making a visual deck or lookbook, um, pitching it in person, so many different elements to, like, how do you approach funders and how do you find individuals and during a party, writing letters, I mean, you name it, I feel like we've done most of it. Um, so I think those are, I see those as valuable things to know how to do. So I don't see it as wasted time or I don't feel pissed off that I want, would rather be just doing all the creative stuff. Um, although sometimes you do get frustrated. Grants are so competitive these days. And when you spend so much time writing them and you get many rejection letters, it can, you just have to be strong about it. You know, now I just let it roll off my back and I just say, okay, on to the next one. But, you know, I think for beginning filmmakers, that can be really discouraging to just get so many rejections. And, you know, you feel like you're alone in this abyss making this project that you care about. You wonder who else cares about it. And it's very lonely and very super challenging, you know. Absolutely it is. Um, It's very lonely. I understand that. Uh, But we just talked to Maury Warshawski recently and he was saying yeah. that it was 30 to 1 for people who were applying for grants and that mm. it was highly competitive so i understand and it's just become more and more yeah so you more really more did you get much money from friends or people or <laughs> direct direct donations yeah probably the biggest source of income has been through individuals um although well cuz like we did a kickstarter and we raised about 35,000 on there and then that was like five more than 500 people um and our first money in was by an individual um and then we brought on an executive producer last year and so that was a, a good chunk as well and so yes I think individuals have been the largest source and part of that for me is that this film is not it's not like an issue film so in documentaries, you know, there are films that speak to certain social issues. This film is, it's personal, it's arts-based. There is not a great granting pool for films like mine. Um, but there's a few grants that, that fund films like like in this genre. So we had to, we've gone for all the grants and, you know, we have gotten some ones that are more arts-based. Um, right you kind of have to look at yes you know social justice like you say are very it's very hard when you're looking at uh, human trafficking homeless people living on the streets in LA or Seattle versus a photographic memory too many times they say oh my gosh this is so important and uh, without meaning that your film isn't terrific that it goes to something with more urgency so uh, yeah. congratulations for your tenacity to hang in there this long <laughs> Thank you. so you can bring this to us um 
Well, what could you say in closing to encourage documentary filmmakers to stay with it, to keep going till they get the film finished? Well, I would say that the thing that's helped me the most is, and I'm fortunate because I live in Brooklyn and there's so many filmmakers here. Um, I think it would be a lot more difficult living in a place where there weren't that many filmmakers because the thing that's kept me going is my community. Um, you know, I meet several times a month with many different filmmakers. We're always talking. We're always supporting each other. It's ex- incredibly collaborative. And we kind of bore each other up with that support, um, reading each other's proposals, you know, um, giving advice. And so that's what I would recommend to anyone who's trying the what feels like an impossible task of making a documentary feature film is to don't do it in isolation, you know, have peers. And building those relationships is should be one of the most important things that you do, um, not only for yourself creatively, but also for fundraising. Um, you know, if you if nobody knows who you are and you're sending and proposals in, you're much less likely to get something than if you've been going to events and meeting people and talking about your project. So it's really that you need to, you know, work collaboratively, work in community, and and have it be more that kind of process rather than an isolated one. That would be my advice. Yeah, sharing your information, reading each other's proposals is a brilliant idea. What a great yeah. way to go. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's so hard to see your own pitfalls. Sometimes. So it's easy to see other people. Well, you so, know, Rachel, yeah. when I read, I read everything that uh, goes for grants with our filmmakers that are uh, sponsored by us. And what I find sometimes is that they miss important points because they have been mm-hmm. – working on it for so long, and maybe there's, uh, to them, uh, two important points, but to me, they, you left out something here and something there that I would want to know about as a right. judge. So that, And I find that shocking to me, but then I realize that they, they're carrying so much knowledge. How do you take five years of information and put it into... 500 words. It's not easy. Another bit of advice I would give on that front is, like, I showed um, a work sample to a group of filmmakers a few weeks ago, and there's sort of one-off comments you get, but what I find important to listen to is if several people have a reaction to something um, that needs to be listened to. And so I think, you know, than one person, obviously people that you trust. Um, you don't want to just be throwing it out into the world, but but getting sort of a consensus um, and then opening up and listening to that, I think is can be really important. Um, there's different schools of thought. I heard Frederick Wiseman say that he never shows anything to anybody because it confuses him. So there's different <laughs> there's different schools of thought, but. Personally, as a first-time person, seeing something about my own life, I find it really Yes, it's very valuable to you. Well, Rachel, I sincerely thank you for all this information, and I'm hoping that when you get through the 
editing process, you'll come back and share with us some, <laughs> some guidance uh, on how you survived, where you got the money, and what the film <laughs> looks like. Absolutely. Love to. Thank you so much okay. for having me on. Thank you, Rachel. Great story. Great work you're doing for all of us. I can't wait to see it. Claire, thanks a lot for your support and your help with the show. I enjoyed it, and thank you, Rachel. Take good care. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, both of you. Have a great day. All right. Okay. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And to our listeners, I want to tell you how grateful we are for the donations you have given to support our podcast. Carol and I sincerely want to thank you for donating it. And also, um, at From the Heart Productions, uh, we reach out to you and urge you to send us your ideas for more shows, um, who you would like to uh, hear interviews from, topics that you would like us to cover. Just let us know. And please join us next week for the Art of Film Funding podcast. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.